0: Welcome back, Patreon supporters, to the Pele Media Patreon bonus episode. For this week, we're going to be talking about Jurassic World. I am joined, by, as always, by my co-host, Brady. Brady, how are you doing today? Doing good, man. Doing good. How about you? I'm doing pretty good. I forgot to introduce myself. Of course, I'm Kyle. And uh, (laughs) if you were aware of this show uh, that we had a very special guest on coming into it, we are joined by none other than Dueling Genres' own, Mr. Scott Corelli. Scott, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon.
1: Oh, it is, it is an absolute honor, gentlemen. Uh, I'm excited to be here. And I just want to say thank you guys so much and congratulations on wrapping oh. up Jurassic Park Minute.
2: Thank you, oh, thank, thank you. you, and thanks thanks for being a part of it, man. Really yeah, appreciate absolutely.
1: it. Absolutely, no, it's it it was great. You know, like I I loved Ghostbusters, and then you guys uh, had to go and outdo yourselves with Jurassic Park. So, <laughs> oh, stop, um, stop. stop Scott, congratulations, congratulations. Come on. Stop, truly, you just <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> but thank you. That that means a lot coming from you because as uh, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners know out there, you are a guy who's kind of a trailblazer in the movies by minute format and podcasting in general. Uh, but for those of our listeners out there who maybe are not as familiar as your work, can you kind of give us an idea of how all these different projects uh, that, that you're involved with right now?
1: Oh boy. Um, well, first of all, they're, they're all at duelinggenre.com because that's, that's sort of our umbrella uh, production company, much like uh, Pele media, of course. Um, Although we've uh, we we we've sort of uh, – when we started, we were basically just um, the Doctor's Companion, which is the Doctor Who podcast I've been doing since uh, 2010 when uh, – well, actually 2009 technically, like when David Tennant regenerated. Um, so uh, that's been ongoing since then, and we started that uh, back then. And it went through a couple of different homes, and then we finally decided to s- open up this sort of – umbrella uh production company when we launched back to the future minute um which is uh one of our our biggest shows i, th- I think it is our biggest show right now although uh, lord of the rings minute and, and harry potter minute definitely nipping at our toes um but you know back to the future minute uh we started that and then we ended up picking up other minute shows um like lord of the rings minute and harry potter minute And uh, those have been doing really, really well. I'm not the host of those, but I I sort of like help them produce them and get them out there. Um, And then we've got a whole batch of new stuff coming. And I think I'm working with someone else that we're going to have kind of a big merging sort of announcement uh, coming up. Um, very soon, I think. Awesome. Uh, so that's that's pretty exciting. But uh, as far as the ones that I directly uh, influence, it's 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 I, I host, I co-host the Doctor's Companion, Back to the Future Minute, which is um, nearly wrapping up now. I think we've only got half of the final movie left. Uh, maybe even a Congrats. little less than half at this point. Uh, and uh, and then I've also just launched Spider Man Minute. Uh, which I'm doing with uh, my good friend and co-host Zach Luna, uh, who is uh, a semi-professional Spider-Man cosplayer, um, loves Spider-Man with every ounce of his being, as do I. And so we're starting with the first Sam Raimi Spider-Man movie, and then going on until I uh, question mark. Um, we're just gonna keep <laughs> keep covering the Spider-Man movies uh, in in release order. Um, eventually I assume dovetailing into the, to the MCU stuff, um, eventually like six years from now, whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, uh, yeah, but that's been really fun. So we, we've started recording that and that's, I think that's, uh, been really, really great. I can't wait for people to hear more than just the, the first, the pilot episode that we released. Um, we have another episode coming out where we're going to talk about the trailers, uh, that comes out in, I think about a week um and uh, out on the main feed and then uh, we launch on may 1st daily uh which will be uh, really exciting i think there's six weeks there where we're gonna have an overlap of uh daily back to the future minute and daily spider-man but uh if i oh, play wow. my cards right i think uh i think we will be finished recording back to the future by the time we launch spider-man so Hopefully, right now, it's very hectic because I'm doing two daily shows, which I know Brady knows a little bit about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just, oh, yeah. Just, just a little bit about. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, so I timed it so that hopefully – um, there's, there's not a whole lot of overlap, just, just a little bit, but, uh, we'll see how that goes, but I'm really excited about that. And then of course, Geek by Night, which is sort of our pride and joy over there at Dueling Genre. Um, it's our original podcast series with a full cast and sound effects and, spe- and, and, all of that stuff. And, uh, I, I created that show and then I executive produce it with, uh, Nick, my, my co-host on Back to the Future Minute and my writing partner. Um, and, uh, we're really, uh, we love that. Uh, show, and so um that's uh that's our pride and joy, but the stuff that we do on a daily basis are like the minute the minute shows and things like that so.
0: Yeah, you've you've got your hands full, but uh, I, yeah, I want to bit. say that someone who's listened to uh, the majority of that stuff, it's all very highly produced and really quality content over there. So even though you guys or Scott that you do so much, it's you do <laughs> you do so much so well, you know. But oh, thank uh, you. I definitely want to um, to to say too to our listeners out there who are looking for some uh, supplemental material, you guys also do some Patreon episodes over the weekend uh, that I love listening to that stuff too. The No Roads Back to the Future Edition is one of my wow. favorite premium level shows. That's some Some great stuff over there.
1: Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Um, We don't hear a lot from our listeners on that one, so it's always nice when someone references.
0: Something from that because it's like oh good we're not recording that show in a vacuum okay (laughs) awesome (laughs) I had a a long uh, road trip to make a couple months ago and I loaded up like two or three or four or five of them in a row and just like had like a long night of just listening to that and driving and it was like the perfect companion to just the open (laughs) plains of the United States (laughs) hearing you and Nick talk about stuff yeah it was really good stuff but for our uh, our listeners out there who are interested in supporting you guys on Patreon uh, how what is the Patreon address for dueling genre.
1: Uh, just duelinggenre.com slash support. Um, we've got like a like a you know, we, we set up its own site so that it, it like sends you to the Patreon uh, site, uh, because for some reason I find that people are confused about if they're, they're unfamiliar with Patreon, they always mm-hmm. think you're saying it with a weird accent and you mean patron. <laughs> And so they yeah. go to patron.com and they're like, that's uh-huh. not a site. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so he set up a, we set up its own website. So duelinggenre.com slash support will take you to our Patreon.
0: That is very smart of you to do that. <laughs> it's, it's, it's definitely thinking ahead. So, Well, Scott, we had you on for, uh, of course, uh, Ghostbusters Minute and then uh, Jurassic Park Minute as well. And I thought it was a fantastic episode when you came on. But as we were ending the episode, you did talk to Brady and I and say, hey, if you guys ever do Jurassic World as an episode for something, please have me on. And, of mm-hmm. course, both of us were like, well, of course, you have to be on for that you know, because the episode was so great. But one of the things you told us going into that was that you had some particular thoughts about Jurassic world. And I hope I said yeah. Jurassic world, not lost world when I said it earlier, and I want to get to those in just a second. But first of all, uh, we did an episode on Jurassic park three and uh, didn't have you on for that. It was just Brady and I talking about that. I want to know your thoughts on Jurassic park three and then kind of what your feelings were going into Jurassic world.
1: Okay. Um, well, Jurassic Park 3 is a movie that I don't even think I bothered to see in theaters um, oh, wow. because I I just didn't think that it like the trailers did nothing for me. And, you know, as I talked about on on my minutes on your show, I'm a big I was a big Jurassic Park fan. Um, but The Lost World was one of those things where, you know, I, I was really excited to see it and then I saw it and then I was like, yeah, I like that. Right. Didn't I? I think I did. Right? <laughs> yeah. Did I? Wait. It's the, uh, and then a menace syndrome. Yeah. And then you just you spend the next couple of weeks like slowly talking yourself off the ledge of just like, oh, I don't I don't think I I don't think I did like that. Um or at least not as much definitely not as much as Jurassic Park. Um It definitely has its moments, you know, like that that moment with the where the with the glass, the breaking glass, that with the what what I don't know, the bus or whatever that thing is hanging off the edge and uh
0: Yeah, the mobile labs.
1: Yeah, the mobile lab and she's on the glass and the glass is breaking and she's trying to get away before it breaks.
2: Stuff Basically like that. The, the moment that did not involve a dinosaur. Right, exactly. Pretty
1: much. Yeah. Um and and you know, and then of course like the raptors in the tall grass was a pretty cool moment. But Overall, the movie doesn't do a whole lot. You know, I think as I described it on Jurassic Park Minute uh, when I was on Lost World is basically uh, Steven Spielberg's Skull Island. um, Yeah. Is what he was trying to do. It's like King Kong, but with dinosaurs. Um, And so it is what it is. But Jurassic Park 3, for whatever reason, just didn't grab me. I, I really liked that Sam Neill was back, but. All of the trailers just didn't do a whole lot for me. And then uh, I finally rented it, I think, and and watched it. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was surprised by how short it was. And I was surprised that it didn't really have anything to say outside of, I'm a movie, eat popcorn for 90 minutes. <laughs> right. Um, and so that bothered me because as I talked about on Jurassic Park, like, I I love the themes and the the underlying message of Jurassic Park a lot. And I think it's done really smartly and it makes it elevates that movie uh, beyond where it would have been otherwise, I Mm -hmm. think. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just don't think The Lost World or Jurassic Park 3 had a whole lot to say outside of here's the plot. Um, yeah, and that was about it. And in fact, yeah. like I mean, you know, it ruins it actively. Ru- Jurassic Park three actively ruins the themes and the character arcs of the first movie. Like it completely undermines them because, like, suddenly he's like afraid of being a parent again. And yeah, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's here's
2: uh, just. To, to interject here for just a second, um, I think if you don't have something to say on the same level that Jurassic Park had something to say, you probably shouldn't even bother calling yourself a Jurassic Park movie. Yeah. Or even bother being made. And I enjoy, you know, the things about Jurassic Park 3 that I guess are there to be enjoyed, which is the chase element and, you know, some neat, you know, I don't know, a few, a few other little things. But like, don't come in here and say that you're a follow up to this brilliant movie. Um, this brilliant idea, and then The Lost World, which is just kind of more, you know, action set pieces that are kind of just there and kind of together. And it's a a movie that's just kind of a little bit bloated. Mm -hmm. And I kind of saw the same thing in Jurassic World. I think they were trying to show that they had something to say. But at the end of the day, I really think it was just kind of that same. Uh, Popcorn. You sit back and eat your popcorn and watch a movie with cool-looking dinosaurs. And it's like, if you can't have... A uh, scene where you have one of your lead characters uh, some of your lead characters sitting around for like 15 minutes talking about rights and wrongs of philosophical issues don't don't bother calling yourself a jurassic park film the the mm-hmm. first film set up a standard that is very difficult to live up to um and whereas i do have high hopes about jurassic world 2 i don't think anything in between has really or, or since then for that matter has uh has you know been worthy but um, well, Not to cut you off, I'm sorry. Well, no,
1: no, I mean, it's, it's interesting you say that, because that's, that's why I'm here, to tell you that Jurassic yes. World is, uh, I, yeah. in my eyes, an equal
0: movie to Jurassic Park.
2: So. And we've been waiting for months, months and months, yeah. months to hear this.
0: <laughs> so let's get so, right into that then, Scott. Uh, yeah, what, what, what were your, your feelings going into Jurassic World, and what were your feelings coming out of the film? I just didn't know. You know, like Mm -hmm. I you know, the
1: the trailers definitely got me, you know, but then there was um, there was one point where they released a scene, which is inarguably the absolute worst scene in the entire movie. Um, The scene where Claire (sighs) uh, goes to Owen's place, his little bungalow and asks for help about like checking out the uh, the IREX's paddock. And that is a really bad scene in the context of the movie. It's even worse out of context. Um, I remember that they released that scene and Joss Whedon was like, really? Like we're, we're just going to take like 15 steps back on feminism with this movie. Mm -hmm, And like just went on a whole tirade about that scene so I was already at a place where I was like, oh, no, is this not going to be a good movie? So like I went in with very low expectations, high hopes, but low expectations. Um, and then leaving the movie, people were like, you know, the, the people I went with were like, so what did you think? And I was like, I, I, I think I loved that. Like, I think I mm. loved that a lot. And so I saw it again like the next day. Just to make sure, which was difficult because that first weekend it was open. It was huge. Like I hadn't seen a movie that big. I I can't even remember how long uh, it had been. Uh, The only thing that outdid it later was Star Wars. We had two massive movies in 2015. Yeah, like Um, six months. Yeah, within yeah, I, think, I think I think the opening uh,
0: weekend for that was a $500 million worldwide box office, which is phenomenal in any era, but particularly during our modern movie-going era. That is unheard of. Yeah. No, it's crazy. I remember it was difficult to get seats in a show, like
1: to the point where you'd go to the theater. They'd be like, well, we're sold out for three hours. And it's like, oh, <laughs> okay. Well, I guess I'll buy a <laughs> ticket for a showing three hours from now. Um, yeah. th- th- thank God for assigned seats now. Uh, that, that helps a lot. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I saw it again. And I had started formulating that first time that I watched it. There were certain lines and certain things that they were focusing on in weird ways that I was like, is this about? And so I was watching. I was like, I think that's what that was about. And I was like, over the next like 24 hours, I was like sort of formulating my theories about what I thought the movie was actually about. And then seeing it again, I was like. Whoa, to the point where I was so like I I felt so justified in my in my theory of what Colin Trevorrow was saying with this movie that I told other people that hadn't liked the movie. And I was like, let's go again. And they're like, oh, my God. I was like, I'll buy your ticket. And (laughs) if you agree with me when we leave, you you can uh, you can pay me back. And they're like, fine. So we went. I got everybody's money. Um, <laughs> wow. Um, so I I absolutely love this movie. I actually think it's brilliant, and I think that we as a culture have gotten into this bad habit of forgetting that movies are art. And that sounds like a super pretentious thing to say, but let me let me explain. All movies are not made in a vacuum. Like, nobody is making a movie and not thinking about every single thing that they're doing while they're making it. They're spending six, sometimes nine months making a movie just on the production side. And that's not to say anything about pre production, writing, post production, all of that. Every single thing that's in a movie isn't just in a movie just because, it's everything is done deliberately and everything is done with a message behind it. Like there is a decision that went into why you did this thing this way. Movies are art and they're a weird art because usually art is done in a, in a vacuum where it's like one person has one idea and they paint a painting or they write a song or whatever. And that's it. But in a movie it's weird because you do have one person's vision, but you also have all these other people helping that, in some cases can muddle it up, muddle up the message and things like that. But for whatever reason, I think that we we we've gotten into a bad habit of just focusing on plot and focusing on just just very basics of movies and not looking past and not asking like, okay, so this thing is like this. Why is it like this? What are they trying to say with this? Are they trying to say anything? And a lot of times with a movie like this, they'll be like, no, they're not trying to say anything. And just dismiss it because it's just like, "Yeah, they just made a monster movie with a bunch of things, whatever. Um, and they just let it go. And they don't think about why they did certain things. And I'm really excited to go into details because I feel like I'm trying to keep things vague so that we can really, like, <laughs> get into the movie and dig in. Um, but I should just say I have a lot of notes. Okay, <laughs> uh, because I did rewatch it this morning um, and took notes as I was going. I was constantly. It took me about three and a half hours, I think, to watch the movie this morning because I kept pausing and writing notes and playing oh and pausing and writing notes. Man, I'm um, kind of scared to even like say my thoughts or anything. <laughs> <notes. laughs> yeah. No, no, but I mean, you're 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 perfect for this, Brady, because you are going to represent what. Everyone else has seen this movie as like everyone Mm -hmm. has been very dismissive of Jurassic World to a point where I'm like, how can I be the only person who has seen what this movie is actually about? Um, And so this is great because every problem that you have, hopefully I have an answer for you. Hopefully. Okay. Yes. Yes. Well, I,
0: I think Brady and I are sitting here uh, like open-minded for this whole thing. So my, my, my going into this and in, in your defense of this movie is like, please change my mind because I, I am one of the people who walked out of the theater when it was done, really disappointed with my experience in there yeah. on, on a multitude of levels. And uh, I think, you know, I thought that the way that I felt about it, I, I remember Brady called me and he's like, you have to see this movie. It's a lot of fun. And then I saw it and I was like, I didn't even have fun in that movie. And so I walked out of the theater saying like, my experience in this has to be the whole of everybody's experience, right? And that's a very egotistical thing to say. I looked on Rotten Tomatoes here before we did the podcast, and it's at like a 71%, meaning that it's a very favorably viewed movie in the eyes of the general public. But uh, I need to know what it is that I'm missing. And I'm not saying that in, in a sarcastic manner. I, I really want you to change my mind here on, on what it is you feel about Yeah, this movie I, I want to
2: like this movie. I really, yeah. really do.
1: Okay.
0: So without further ado, um, please. <laughs>
1: okay. All right. Well. Um, so first of all, right at the beginning of the movie, right? So we get we get the two eggs thing, and and you get sort of like the uh, this like doom moment of like the one Irex looking at the other egg and be like, I'm gonna eat you, um, which we 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 find out about later, which is like you know they reference the fact that she ate her sister, um, which. Uh, I, I, watching it this time, I don't think I'd ever put that together before. And then I was watching this time. I was like, Oh, that's what that is. It's sort of like this weird um, Christopher Nolan does this thing where all of his movies open with a, uh, uh, a shot that is completely meaningless to you until mm-hmm. it's like the title card shot. And it's always completely meaningless to you until you watch the movie again. You're like, Oh wow. It's, that's the whole movie yeah, on the, the title card. The Prestige um, is the perfect yeah, the example pres- of that. The Prestige is a really good example, and um, Interstellar does it too, mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, which is a movie that I don't really like, but it, it is right there on the title card. It's, it, it's something that I love about Christopher Nolan, that he always does that. Yeah, um, it's, like, uh, it, it's, it's like he's calling a shot um, right from the beginning. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I really like that moment. But um, when the movie starts, one of the first things that we see... Is uh, the the kid uh, Gray? Is that his name? Yeah, Gray. Gray is looking in a viewfinder at a Harryhausen uh, dinosaur, like dinosaur, like pictures from a Harryhausen dinosaur movie. Um, and right off the bat, the movie is telling you this is a movie about looking back. This is a movie that is all we're all we're going to be talking about is the concept. There's two main themes in this movie, but one of them, one of the major ones is looking back. And so Trevorrow really calls it out right off the bat and is saying, mm. like, we're looking back like this kid is looking back at old dinosaur stuff and we're looking back. And this whole movie is about how people don't look back anymore. Um, and how they're always looking forward and trying to do the next thing. But this kid is totally cool with looking at this old viewfinder, which is an old toy. And not only looking at an old toy, but is looking at Harryhausen pictures Mm -hmm. in the old toy. Mm -hmm. So like right off the bat, this kid is representing something to us and to Colin Trevorrow. Um, And then this whole thing with the – it starts with – so one of the criticisms that I hear a lot about the kids, and I'll get to the divorce part of the equation later, um, which is a big one that people call out all the time. Um, But the relationship between these two kids, right? So there's this moment where uh, they go outside and the older kid, Zach – is talking to his girlfriend and his girlfriend's like oh you need to write me every day and he's like oh my god i'm only going to be gone for a week like leave me alone and then he gets in the car and his parents give him a hard time and he's annoyed because he's like they weren't even paying attention like i obviously (laughs) don't care um and uh what i like about that is it already sets up these two kids as uh representations of two kinds of people who go see movies Gray represents the people who watch movies in a very earnest way. He is the, he is the eyes of a child to the point where we're there first pulling into Jurassic World. Zach stays behind and stays in his seat and listens to, to his iPhone or whatever. And Gray gets out of his seat and runs up to the front to see the gates open. And he's surrounded by children. It's just him and a bunch of children. And they're the only ones who care. Everyone else is like reading newspapers and stuff. They're not even looking up. And you have so he represents that sort of earnestness of just like, you know, I want to be a kid again. Like that's why I watch movies. It's like, I want to feel like a kid. And then you have Zach, who is like i i don't I'm not coming to a movie to be impressed. You have to work for it. like i I've seen it all. I've done it all. I don't care. Like impress me, try just try and impress me. I dare you. That sort of cynical movie going. Yeah. Uh, experience. Right. And so they, right off the bat, Trevorrow sets these two kids up as a representation of two kinds of movie audiences. And then throughout the movie, they are constantly put in situations where they're trying to pull each other to the other side. Like they're both trying to corrupt each other through the whole movie, hmm. um, which I really love that as uh, a representation of these two of the, of these, for these kids. Like I like that as, Their sort of character arcs is that they're sort of like a metaphor um, for these things. Uh, I don't know. What do you guys think about that as far as – before I I go any further –
0: I I think there's a lot of merit to that. I know one of the things that Trevorrow said going into the movie was imagine a world where people had uh, fallen out of love with dinosaurs or became bored with it. So Mm -hmm. I think you're I definitely think you're on to something here uh, with the characterization of these of these kids and the way they view Jurassic Park. And they're as a surrogate for the audience. If I'm understanding how you're how you're going forward with this.
2: Yeah. You know, what's what's interesting is that uh, we're getting that and you would think the ages would be reversed. In that the older kid would be like, oh, remember this thing or whatever. And the younger kids are the ones who are like, I'm, I'm more interested in what's on my, uh, I don't know what kids have these days. Is it still a Game Boy? Uh, than I am what is, you know, what this Monrail is uh, heading towards. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's interesting that Gray, the younger child, is the one who has more concern for, for this kind of stuff. I do think everything you're saying about, I, I'm agreeing with you on, on pretty much everything right now, but I'm really interested in what you're saying about Gray. And looking through the viewfinder at the beginning, what we're looking at, And what, you know, he represents is, uh, is interesting.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, what, one of the things, uh, I picked out this one little dialogue exchange between the two of them, because not only is it like, I feel like it's really well written because it's the kind of actual like brother conversation, um, that you would have with your, with your brother, (laughs) um, which you guys would probably know a little something about, um, (laughs) But uh, there's this exchange where Gray says, how big is the island? Zach says, I don't know, it's big. And he's like, but how many pounds? And he goes, that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) What I love about that is like, the little brother is like, but how many pounds I could totally see like a little brother around gray's age asking a ridiculous question like that. Yeah. Like how would I ever know how many pounds the Island is like that doesn't (laughs) what, Um, I mean, I'm, I'm a little
2: brother who's still asking questions like that. (laughs) Never leaves.
1: But what I love about that conversation is it is a representation of exactly their mindsets because Mm -hmm. Gray is all about like he wants to know everything. He's so earnest about everything. Like, how big is the island? How many pounds is it? I want to know everything. And Zach is just like, "What? It's I don't know. It's big. That doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Why you stop it?" Um, and I just I loved that little exchange. Like, it just it it felt like the perfect representation of who they are as characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so then we get to Claire, right? And we meet Claire. And one of the things one of the big things with claire um that i I always hear as a complaint with Claire is about how she is sort of like ten steps back on feminism, like, oh, really, like we're gonna do a movie about the the woman who needs to, who's uptight and needs to lighten up, and that's what the movie's about, seriously, that's her character arc.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But my argument is that it's not actually her character arc. Uh, I think her character arc is that. She doesn't emotionally connect with anyone or anything, yeah.
0: Yeah, I can definitely um, see that.
1: I, I think that that's her big arc in this movie is learning how to emotionally connect to anything. Because, like, one of the big scenes for me that showed me that, um, that sort of revealed that arc to me was the scene where, um, two there are two scenes, so like, it's set up when, um, Owen says something about, like, you know, that they're living creatures right your your assets are living creatures like they're not just you know numbers on a spreadsheet or whatever and she's like i'm aware that they're alive and then later in the movie when they find the field of the dead dinosaurs and she has a dinosaur die in her hands that's the moment that she like starts crying and she has an emotional connection to that dinosaur and then suddenly like a flip a a switch flips for her and she's like, oh, my God. And then you start seeing her emotionally connect more to Owen, to uh, the kids when she sees them again. And it's all about that. And then for Owen, it's actually similar. He only emotionally connects to animals. He's only emotionally connecting to these dinosaurs. Yeah. shes He's not connecting to her in any way. He thinks that she's a stick in the mud. But her arc isn't about not being a stick in the mud. She wouldn't be Claire if she wasn't kind of a stick in the mud. Um, That's an important part of her character is that she's a she's a very business focused person. Um, It's how I think that the third act happens the way that it does. Um, But for Owen, he just doesn't connect to people. And this is a movie about him connecting to people more. Uh, There's actually a deleted scene where he's actually like straight out just says,
0: like, people are terrible. Like, why (laughs) would you want to connect to people? They're the worst. Um, and I'm curious if that I, kind of ties in or was it supposed to tie in with his background as an oh ex Navy SEAL, too. You might see some post-traumatic stress disorder stuff coming out of that and him may only being able to associate with the Raptors. You know, Absolutely. Uh, I, I just I'm just throwing that out there. But yeah. yeah. OK. But can, yeah, can, no, no.
1: I, I, I think so, too. I think that's that's I think that's correct. Um, mm-hmm. But with Claire. So the first time we meet Claire and she's talking about what you were talking about with Trevorrow, where she has those uh, sponsors that are coming in that want us they, they represent um, Verizon Wireless, I think, and they want to sponsor a dinosaur. And she's talking about how when the when the park opened, like every you know, it was a really big deal that we had, you know, unextinctualized all these creatures and you know we could have done we could have showed them anything and they would have been amazed and now it's just you know it's it's like going to the zoo it's no big deal we need to keep coming up with flashy things because you know at the end of the day it's a big ask to say come fly to this island um that's a big cost that's a Uh huge cost Um, so, you you know, it's a big ask to get people out there and, and people just weren't showing up in the numbers um, that they need to to keep the, the the park profitable. And and she's talking about this. But I think what she's really saying, what Trevorrow is really saying there is that people aren't like what made Jurassic Park great in 1993 doesn't work the same way today. Like people aren't as you know, movie-going audiences aren't as thrilled by something like that today. Um, And what what she's representing is actually sort of a cynical way of making movies. So you have the kids who represent a a cynical and earnest way of watching movies, and you have Claire as a cynical way of making movies, and then Owen as the earnest way of making movies. Mm. uh, Owen is... Colin Trevorrow Um, to Hmm. the point where the first time that we meet, meet, I almost called him Colin. The first time we meet (laughs) Owen, um, what is he doing? Like he's standing over a thing telling Raptors what to do. He's directing. Okay. Yeah. Like he's literally using the clicker and telling them to get in their places and do this and do that. He is directing. And he has a conversation with Vincent D'Onofrio who, Uh, His character, Hoskins, I think represents Frank Marshall, the producer who was trying so hard to get another Jurassic Park movie off the ground. Hmm. And I think this scene is weirdly representative of Colin Trevorrow making Safety Not Guaranteed and Frank Marshall coming and being like, we're going to make a Jurassic Park movie. You got to come over and do this because you're the guy. You're my guy. You're going to be the guy that's going to do this and it's going to be awesome. And he's like, I just don't. Maybe we shouldn't do that. Like maybe we shouldn't make another Jurassic Park. And he says and he has Hoskins say the line. Look, this is going to happen with or without you. Mm. Uh-huh. Um and so I think that he's talking about franchise filmmaking. I think that that's what this whole movie is about is a commentary on franchise filmmaking and how one of the, one of the lines that he says, um, he says, so like we're sitting on a gold mine here, which is, he's talking about Jurassic park, the franchise, it's a gold mine and they're just sitting on it. They have the rights to it and they're not making any movies and they're, so they're going to make a movie with or without him. So he might as well, you know, cash in and help out and make a cool Jurassic park movie. And there was a one point where, where Owen says, maybe progress should lose for once. And I think what he's saying is like, can't we just leave the past in the past? Mm-hmm. Like, do we have to make a sequel? Do we have to keep resurrecting these franchises? Like, can't we just leave the past in the past? Right. Like, this whole movie, I feel like, is Trevorrow talking about franchise filmmaking.
0: Yeah, yeah. And how
1: yeah. why why bother making a sequel when you're never going to beat the original? And that's I, what that's what um, Nick from New Girl. What's it? What's yeah. Uh, Jake Johnson. Uh, Joe Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Jake Johnson. Every every time he shows up, that's all he's talking about. I mean, yeah. he's literally yeah. wearing a Jurassic Park shirt. And he's like, yeah, no, I know people died. It was a tragedy. But like, man, <laughs> that first park was awesome. Um, and he's just talking about how good that first park is. But really, he's talking about the movie. And you have, um, uh, oh, I have I have other things about what other characters represent. But yeah, I, I just think that that's what this movie is basically saying is like, do we need to make Franchise, Like, do we have to keep making sequels? Like, can't we just let this go? Like the fact that Jurassic World as a concept within the world of Jurassic Park, the fact that everything that happened in in that first movie happened and everything in the sequels happened and they still were like, no, we're (laughs) going to open another park. It doesn't make any sense, but it's not supposed to make sense because it doesn't make sense that we're making another Jurassic Park.
0: Well, it, it only makes sense in the fact that the dollar is the is the high watermark right. that they're trying to reach. You know, it's the actual artistic right. integrity of it isn't what matters. It's like, yeah, people died. We'll open another park. It's yeah, we're never going to be able to recapture the brilliance of the original movie. But yeah, we're going to go ahead and do it anyway. So and
1: they're going to keep chasing it.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's yeah. and and, it, th-
1: and that's the other thing. So and like, like,
0: oh, go ahead. Now, it's it's funny too that and I I wanted so far you have a hundred percent I'm I am in I'm on board. It's yeah. funny that <laughs> uh, that uh, Trevorrow is the guy making the statement, considering that he's the next in line to helm the Star Wars uh, series. Right. You know, the the next yes. director in that. So I think he's probably, and I'm sure at this point. Kathleen Kennedy had probably called him on the phone and said, hey, we're looking at you for this, for this new Star Wars. I just saw your movie. You know, it was fantastic. So I think this is probably all of this is in his mind, definitely. Mm-hmm.
2: Just and in, in terms of like what he might think about franchise filmmaking, his, his take on Jurassic World uh, might be his commentary on franchise filmmaking, but that doesn't necessarily mean he's not going to go work on another franchise and make it as, as good as he can, which is what he's doing in Jurassic World.
1: Right. So, well, and and I think that the thing about what his commentary on franchise filmmaking is that I think what he's saying is it depends, and I think what he's saying is specifically about the Jurassic Park franchise, like not everything needs to be a franchise. Right, right, I think right. is what he's yeah. actually saying. Whereas yeah. like Star Wars makes sense as a franchise. Yeah. Jurassic Park really doesn't? I mean, not really. You know, Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see what the sequels are because I love this movie so much and I'm excited to see what else they have to say um, because he did write uh, the sequel. Um, So I'm excited to see what else there is uh, to ring from this franchise um, now that he said what he says in Jurassic World. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think what he's really saying is it, it depends like Jurassic Park doesn't need to be a franchise. I mean, you guys are a perfect example of that. Like you did Jurassic Park minute and then you stopped. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. like, we don't need to keep going. That was enough.
0: Yeah. 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 It's, uh, some things are, I mean, and you know, I, I don't want to dismiss what our buddies over on the Lost world minute are doing, you know, they're doing their own thing over there, but it's, some things are left at the mm-hmm. end of the day, uh, you have said what you needed to say and you walk away from it which you know reading the lost world when it came out i kind of felt that way about the whole thing i was like well if they were going to just do even do a fun sequel none of this is really what i wanted from it you know once out the game i mean basically jurassic park is a retread of mary shelley's frankenstein in a lot of ways i think thematically It, it of course adds some new things to it which uh if if i'm Maybe want to jump off what you're saying here. Yeah, Jurassic Park doesn't need to be a franchise, but those themes still resonate universally, which is a funny way to use the word. But uh, <laughs> they could very easily take those themes and spin it out into something new, uh, just without dinosaurs. But um, mm-hmm. Mm, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I'm following you so far. I, yeah. Well, this is this is uh, so something I'm curious about. It. What do you think the Indominus Rex represents in this equation? Uh-huh.
1: Ah, uh, the Indominus Rex represents all of the terrible ideas that they had for Jurassic Park sequels. Ah, uh, yeah. A There's a point where when she goes and picks up Owen and is like, come back to the paddock, and she specifically says, we're worried about how structurally sound the I Rex's paddock is. And I'm like, oh, it's the screenplay. <laughs> That's <laughs> they're worried how good the screenplay is. So they bring in Owen who represents Colin Trevorrow and they're, they're like, take a look at this. What do you think? Like, is this okay? Wow. Yeah. The, the IREX is, and he even calls it out when she says it's the Indominus Rex. And he's like the Indominus Rex. That's so stupid <laughs> um, <laughs> because it is, it's dumb. Like just made up a dinosaur. Like that's ridiculous. Um, mm-hmm. And it's supposed to be ridiculous. Like the 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 Indominus Rex is not really supposed to be scary. It's supposed to represent – to me, it represents all of the bad ideas. Do you remember that sequel that they were talking about where like the raptors were going to be capable of speech? Yeah. Like,
0: yes. oh, yeah. man. Uh, yeah. Uh, and i, I think oh. actually a lot of the stuff from and that was i believe the john sales script uh which was where a company called Grindel had made their own versions of velociraptors that I don't know if you if, if you guys are familiar with this but they could actually cloak themselves and become invisible, so you know ah. I, I i completely think that 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 it does take elements from those those velociraptors and yeah yeah, yeah i'm I'm with you on that
1: <laughs> um and then uh uh Here's something else this is super mar- this is something that I've always picked up on the fact that um the way that they talk about Hammond Hammond is the director of of the original park Hammond mm-hmm. is Spielberg um, every time they talk about Hammond in the original park they're really talking about Spielberg in the original movie and at one point um we have uh, what is his name the uh Ms. right
0: yeah
1: i yes, i yeah, I, Ms. Rani. I think I think and this wasn't something I picked up on until this this time watching it. I think he represents foreign investors.
0: Okay. Okay, so he's the Chinese market? Yeah,
1: basically. Like he you. represents all of those foreign investors who are not in the film business and are just mm-hmm. business owners who don't know what yeah. they're doing in the movie business but are funding it because they they they're like, whoa, we're gonna get rich! Like, this is great! Like, I, I love all this movie stuff! Like, look at all these famous people I'm friends with now. I tell like, you what,
2: man! Like, we, we see a lot of that here with the Louisiana Film Commission and a lot of just like old oil guys. Mm-hmm. You know, hey man, you could be a, an executive producer on a motion picture that gives jobs to people, and they're like, oh hell yeah, here's ten million, and there goes ten million. Yep. In somebody's pocket. Anyway, and I and- keep going.
1: And I think the scene that that cinched it for me, because I was starting to think that now, now I think it's more just like independent investors just in general, not necessarily foreign ones, yeah. um, although that's part of it. But I think that the the scene that cinches it for me is you have that running joke about how he can't really fly a helicopter but he's like learning yeah and you, <laughs> uh-huh. when he when he dies he's like I'm gonna take care of this and he like has that big hero moment and it's super cheesy and ridiculous and you're like why yeah. is anyone letting this guy do this this is crazy and then he cr- he crashes and burns yeah I I mean it's ca- it's a little bit like like these four like these these uh uh independent investors who come in and they're like, I know how the movie business works. This is going to be great. And then they make flop after flop after flop. (laughs) Huh? Well,
2: okay. So you've, you finally kind of made that whole thing make some kind of sense for me because I like the character of Masrani and they give him all this buildup and they give him this epic moment where he's going to go out and do something great. Nope. Mm -hmm. Boom dies for no reason. And like, there's not even a, like a big sense of, uh, uh, sacrifice or anything, and then right, you, you see the helicopter and a big wide shot go down. There's, there's no, yeah. What, what? No,
1: yeah. <laughs> like you no, he crashes, this. he crashes and burns and is forgotten. The yeah. way that many flops are, cra- mm-hmm. they crash and burn and are forgotten. Like these, these people who have like tricked independent investors into investing in some yeah. movie to get up, like those movies where you're like, how, what? This movie cost how much? How, how, what? How did that? Right. You know, and, and it's because of
0: guys like Mizrani.
2: Yeah, it's unfortunate.
0: Yeah, that is um, that, that that I believe is maybe the most perfect parallel of anything in there. That's, yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> I just I keep thinking of uh, this Matt Damon movie, The Wall that just came out. Yes, that, you know, was a perfect a medium, example. A, a pretty good hit in China uh, doesn't hardly even opens in third place here in the United mm-hmm. States, you know. but And it's, uh, Warcraft. Warcraft is another one that did. That. Absolutely. Warcraft is one that definitely. Yeah, did not make a peep here, but is probably going to get a sequel just because it hit so hard in China. But uh, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah.
1: Mm hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, like you, you have, uh, Claire, like she's constantly talking about like, Oh, focus groups, this and spreadsheets that, and all, all of these things. And she's talking about, she is making this park from a very cynical place. Mm -hmm. She's not staying true to the spirit of why Hammond put it together in the first place, which is to be an experience. He wanted yeah. you to go there and experience this thing and be odd and filled with wonder. And she doesn't feel things anymore. Like she doesn't have an emotional attachment to anything that she's doing. She's just making a movie paint by numbers, numbers on a spreadsheet. You know, that's all she's doing. She's like, we have a bottom line to hit and this is how we make a movie. We hit these, you know, six, beats and we'll hit these four quadrants and we'll have a hit that's how her character represents that side of filmmaking and then owen is like "No, no no it's all about what you feel and it's about all of this and that and it's about him sort of being corrupted by this system and being brought in under this and him trying to make things
0: his way within this system Hmm. It, it, it's, it's funny that you say that she represents that too, because th- th- this movie is rampant with uh, product placement and mm-hmm. no character is more, uh, well, besides maybe Jimmy Buffett later in the movie, but uh, <laughs> is more uh, identifies with that other than her long shots of her standing outside of her Mercedes, you know, or like long, like uh-huh. 30 seconds tracking shots of the Mercedes symbol. And then she steps out of it. So uh, right. yeah, I, I believe that. Absolutely. Um, and I,
1: and I think that's exact, that's a very good point of uh, a very good example of what I'm talking about outside of the movie. If we're talking about Trevorrow, Mm -hmm. I I mentioned Owen, you know, sort of working within the system. That's what Trevorrow was doing. He was given numbers on a spreadsheet. He was given a script that was so it was, it was close enough to the Jurassic world that we got that he had to share screenplay credit with the original writers. Right. Yeah. Um, And it's because they were already building sets. They were already doing this. They were already casting stuff before he even came on board and did a rewrite. So he couldn't do a substantial enough rewrite, like where he's rewriting set pieces and things like that, um, because a lot of that stuff was getting like pre-visualized and sets were already being built. And so he had to work within the system, Mm -hmm, mm
0: -hmm.
1: including things like product placement. And he's like, okay. I have to have product placement in this movie. I don't have a choice. How can I do it that artistically feeds my vision?
0: Yeah, yeah. That's and how I, you do I think. It. I think on on that level, he absolutely made it work because it makes it feel like number one, like lived in world. Of course, an amusement park would have all of you know, have a Starbucks and a Jimmy Buffett's, uh, you know, Margaritaville or whatever but then it also feels like there is a little bit of knife twisting with that as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it there's there's I, I feel like maybe he made the cynicism of, of the, you know, studio filmmaking process work to a degree. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Um, I, I just think, uh, I, yeah.
0: And so like, ultimately
1: like that's what I think the movie's about and I'll have other stuff, but like, obviously I want you guys to talk. I have a lot to say about the third act and I'll get there. When we get there, but like you guys, like, let's, I want to hear your thoughts about this stuff.
0: No, you know, I I think my, (laughs) well, yeah, first of all, I want to say that I, I, you've sold me on, on your theory. I think that's absolutely the director's intention going into it. And I think that that makes it a far more interesting film to watch than what I took away whenever I saw it. And just when I was in the theater, I could almost see the stitching of the different uh, screenplays that went into this thing. I could just see like the arbitration nightmare that this screenplay must have, (laughs) that this entire production must have been to, you know, of him trying to write this ship. And I have to say that uh, for the things that I don't feel worked in this movie, I don't want to put any of that blame on Trevorrow at all. I think the guy's a fantastic filmmaker. And I think given the confines of what he had to work in, I think. I think he did a, a pretty great job But at the end of the day coming out of the theater uh, Just as a film going experience uh, That meta level criticism you have For it or you know reading of it uh, I, I just I didn't I wasn't really wasn't Entertained by the movie I guess is is my big Falling of it because it felt like Felt like three different stories That whenever I think about this movie I can only mentally Picture two of them at the same time The the, uh, the young kids in the Indominus Rex uh, Grady and his Raptors uh, and then also Grady and I forget Bryce Dallas Howard's character, like their Slayer. journey together. Yeah, yeah. And I, I've, I can't in my mind ever wrap it around any of those three things at the same time. And I felt like it was it was definitely bloated in that aspect. Uh, when when I came out of this movie, I just felt like it was falling to the trappings of trying to play for international markets. It was a lot of sound and fury and I, I didn't really feel like I could identify with any of the characters the way that I could in Alan Grant or in Ellie Sattler or Ian Malcolm in the original. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I kind of walked away from it, I think kind of depressed over the whole thing because I knew that, you know, this movie made so much money that we're going to get more sequels to it. And I, I walked away feeling like if this was what the modern audiences kind of feel is even passable as far as like a, a, an action film, uh, I was very disappointed in that. But I think that that was just a surface-level reading on my part. You know, going into all the things you're saying about it, I think that makes it a far more interesting movie <laughs> than uh, the way that I viewed it on my original viewing. But Brady, when you saw this movie, uh, did you were your original feelings on it, they were, they were pretty positive, weren't they?
2: I mean, until the time I got to my car. Uh, and if I did call you and say, like, I, and in fact, I, I, do, I do think I remember talking to you the next day And I was talking to you about the things I do like about the movie, uh, still, but it's like we were talking about earlier with, um, Scott's impressions coming out of it, or I think the impressions of a lot of people coming out of the Phantom Menace is you were just sort of denying the fact that you you didn't like it. Uh, which is unfortunately an all too frequent, frequent thing in going to the movies these days. Um. So that was something that was hard to like, you know, stomach, I guess, as a fan of this, you know, first film. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's very, very quickly became something I just kind of wrote off and didn't want to accept. And I think I've seen it a handful of times since then. And there are those things that I do like about it are just so few and far between. And then, and then you get the story with the kids and like the older kid, Zach is asleep throughout this entire movie. And, uh, there's other little nitpicks and stuff that like, okay, so they didn't go back to the original park uh, structures enough. That is nothing more than a fanboy and his nostalgia. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. But uh, God, I wish we would have gotten more of that. Um, but you know, yeah, you know there's... what?
1: What I do love about that is in those moments when they are in the old park, it is shot and paced like nothing else in the movie.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. It feels like a, a separate reel from a, another movie that they spliced into the middle of the thing. Yeah, it, yeah,
2: it, it does seem like they they made it. It's it seems like uh, caring almost like we're going to take right. our time with these slow camera movements and things. Yeah. And it's and, very and dreamlike.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very
2: dreamlike. And uh, there's little artifacts that you get, like the mural on the wall of the of the raptor, and then the mm-hmm. the music that comes back in is, uh, you know, Trevorrow just kind of like. You give me this minute, you know, like y'all are yeah. gonna give me this one little moment for for me and the people that I represent here to uh, to have our, our moment. I guess I don't know how else to put it, but um, the, you know, you you really opened my eyes to something to a lot of stuff here. Uh, but one thing is that part of the movie's commentary was oh. Commercialism, this and commercialism that, and we have all these uh, brands in our park and everything. Come on, that's a way to help finance your movie. Is oh, we have uh, the Verizon Center or whatever it is. Well, that's a way to get Verizon to pay for some of your movie and to cash in on it. Pretty clever, uh, yeah. but it's yeah, I guess. But like, but it's not <laughs> the right thing to do. But um, so I, I right, but I can, but but he
1: doesn't get to exactly. choose that exactly yeah
2: yeah, yeah that's the, yeah and that's the thing that's what you've kind of opened my eyes to there's like a whole nother uh level to that going on that you and colin trevaro are probably the only people in the world privy to that <laughs> so you well, know it's if ahead, if, if
0: this if this conversation here begs anything scott and i don't know if you've already done this or if you have plans to do this but you have got to do a youtube video about this yes, whole please, <laughs> theory please. yeah we well, really have to get this out there into the world <laughs> yeah so, Scott, you said you had some thoughts on the third act of Jurassic World. Do you think that – and I, the, the the third act of this movie is a lot of bombast and, of course, it's, it's a big, big ending on it. Do you think that kind of betrays some of the stuff that Trevorrow was trying to say previously in the movie?
1: Uh, absolutely not, actually. Okay. Um, I, I think that the third act – I mean, number one, just on a visceral level – uh, the first time I saw it and every time since then, the third act just plasters a big smile on my face um, for the for the whole time. Uh, but one of the things, um, number one, with the whole military operation that goes down with the Raptors going after the Indominus Rex, which is sort of like the very end of act two um, going into act three, which. Uh, I think that that is sort of this representation of like doing it wrong of like, this isn't the Jurassic park spirit. Like there's a point where Owen is like, this is wrong. We shouldn't be doing this. And I, and I feel like that's what that is, is it's just like, this isn't like a military operation. Like it doesn't belong in Jurassic park. Like it's not right. It's not true to that spirit. Um, And then as we go along, what you end up with in the third act, you know, you get end up on that sort of midway section with the three Raptors and the IREX and they start fighting the IREX. And then you get that reveal where Gray is like, we need more teeth. And then um, Claire runs and goes and gets the, the, the T-Rex, which let me just pause and say, Claire's a badass. Of course, she can run in heels. Um I mean I mean I'm 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 sorry like like she she is like the actress Bryce Dallas Howard is running in heels. I hate when people are like you can't run in heels. I'm like she's Literally doing, doing it. it. Yeah. You're watching her yeah. do it. What are you talking about? Um, it was an every
0: issue. Uh, me for like because I mean they're cloning dinosaurs here, and the run- lady running in heels is the issue that people have with the movie. Right, like, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know we uh, had. And, uh, not, and
1: not to mention that like you know the, when they say like oh she would never be able to outrun a T Rex and I was like well I mean I don't I, I think generally like a, a T Rex in their prime sure but she's an old lady in this. She's like twenty five. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. She's she's knocking on death's door uh, in this movie. You know, Trevorrow um, described this movie uh, in the press early on as uh, the T-Rex is unforgiven. Where 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 the whole time you keep waiting for them to fire that gun and they and they don't um, until uh, they earn it. And and I think they totally earn it um, in that third act. Uh, I think it's a killer moment. And I think what he's saying in this moment um, is that the the IREX fight is great because it is essentially Colin Trevorrow saying you can never beat the original. Mm -hmm. Like it's the Raptors and the T-Rex versus the IREX. You can never beat the original. Like the original is always going to take you down no matter what, except – that the only, like the one of the only real dinosaurs that he brings, or it's not even an actual dinosaur, it's a, it's, it's part of a different period. So it's not technically a dinosaur, but the, the Mosasaurus, um, when that comes out and grabs the I rex and drags it into the water, the I rex isn't a real dinosaur. They created it for the movie and they created it in the world of the movie. Mm-hmm. The Mosasaurus, is a real dinosaur, and the last time we saw it, well, we see it three times. Rule of three. Um, the first time that we see it, it's the first moment in the movie where um, Zach finally looks up at his, at his from his phone and is impressed, earnestly impressed by what yeah. he sees. It's the first time in the movie where both of our our stand-ins for the audience are both like, oh, that was pretty awesome. And so that and, – and what I love about that is that's a real creature that they're impressed by. Like that's a real creature that did exist in our past at some point. Yeah. And so what – so not only is he saying you can't ever beat the original. However, there is some hope for the future <laughs>
0: hmm.
1: because that's what that is. He's just like, but it's not all bad. Like, right, yeah, it's it's not like you can never beat the original, but it's not all bad. Like, yeah. <laughs> and I I just really love that as sort of a mission statement for this movie, which is like he had the C- Trevorrow had the gall to make a sequel to a movie that is basically being like, why are we doing this? You can never yeah. beat the original.
0: Yeah, yeah. Huh. It's funny too that the Mosasaur, the way it the way it makes its appearance there at the very end, is it comes up and it snatches the Irex the same way that the T Rex did to the Raptor in Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. And before that, the previous scene when we see it, it's uh, it's eating a great white shark, which would be the symbol of what uh, brought Steven Spielberg into giant movie filmmaking yeah. you know, at, the, 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 at right. the same time. So I right. think there might have been a little bit of a dig at. Uh, having to be tied to previous versions of the screenplay going into that, if he's going to you know, throw that little bit of symbolism in there. Totally.
2: And that is something I want to get to, but after, after we're done with Scott's uh, theory here.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: I've, I, I completely buy what you're selling. Here yes, 100%, me, too. Scott. <laughs> yeah. me too.
2: 100% like that's exactly what I'm going to do after this uh, is, is go watch... Jurassic World again for the first time if you will. You you're, you're going
1: to be honestly like I am only scratching the surface. Like you could literally watch a scene in this movie, pause it and be and with this theory in mind be like what was that about? Like there was at one point um when uh when people first start dying from the, from the IREX at attacks and you have that, the the, the security people go out into the, into the, uh, into the woods or whatever you would call that jungle. I don't know. Yeah. Um, it's all fake, so I don't know what you would call it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, they go into that area and they, when they realize that the IREX can change her, um, color and, you know, blend into her surroundings, the camouflage thing. And, uh, in that moment, she's watching the video and she's like – Clara's like in the in the uh, control room and she's like – they've got like the, the 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 screen up where like people are dying and you have like heartbeat things going out and everything's going. Yeah. And she's just like, oh my god. And I just I, – I love the fact that to me, the IREX, like I said, represents all of those bad ideas and the bad plot ideas. And then in this scene, you have – this, like, studio filmmaker, this producer, or whatever you would call her, I guess she would p- probably be some kind of producer, um, would be what she's representing, is just like, oh, the plot's getting away from us. This is going to be a disaster.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. just
1: the way that she reacts to it is is very much like that. Like, oh, the our terrible plot is getting away from us. This is going to be a <laughs> it's disaster. It's becoming worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's literally like every scene you can just pause and be like, so I wonder what that meant. There's a handful that I couldn't quite figure out. And I feel like a lot – like there's a few things that are just sort of connective tissue um, Mm. kind of scenes. But uh, a lot of things – like even the divorce thing, which a lot of people point to and like that doesn't go anywhere. Yeah. But it is – for one, I think the divorce – is really there to again hammer home the two different kinds of kids that Zach and gray are Mm -hmm. when they're discussing the divorce. Like Zach is like, well, you know, whatever. It's not a big deal. We'll have two Christmases, two birthdays. It'll be better this way. And, and gray is just crying and be like, but I don't want two of everything. I just want our parents to stay together. Yeah. It's again, that cynicism view, cynical view versus an earnest view of the situation. Right, yeah, yeah, it's
0: like we may be getting a new trilogy of movies here, but they'll never be as good as the original, you know. That kind of <laughs> right, view totally, it, yeah. Mm, totally, mm. yeah. Damn. And that was one of the things I think that My initial reading on the movie was just kind of It felt like uh, I did agree that you know that Divorce thing kind of went nowhere it felt like there was a lot Of padding in this movie that, that just went To dead ends and now that I'm mm-hmm. seeing like Your side of the whole thing that no Kyle everything is symbolism for something else You know uh, which is Is actually a really high art way of Looking at this film which I never would Have given it credit for considering it's just a It's a not not mindless but a big Budget summer movie I just thought okay this is just Here for fun but right uh, you know everything would be character development, but in this movie, the character development doesn't always seem to necessarily go anywhere. So I think you're correct in saying that everything is a stand-in for a meta-commentary on uh, the soft reboot culture that we're in right now. Right. And I
1: think, I mean, Trevorrow, I I think the guy is in for huge things like i cannot wait for his movie yeah. this year yeah that poster did you guys see Hinder. that poster that yes. got released today yeah it looks great yeah good awesome. god amazing um and i i i can't wait to see the trailer like i'm really excited to see that movie and i'm i'm, I'm pumped to see jurassic world 2 and or whatever they end up calling it and um uh of course uh his star wars movie um, I just think he's great, but honestly, like, I bought into the Trevorrow train when he did Safety Not Guaranteed, mm-hmm. and the whole time, it's a movie about a crazy guy who thinks he's a time traveler, and spoilers for Safety Not Guaranteed, you get to the end of the movie, and he's actually a time traveler, <laughs> and I was like, Yeah, oh my, like, who who would have the balls to do that other than this guy. Like that's when I knew he was a very special kind of filmmaker and like my kind of storyteller where I'm just like, I, I I am I am bought into whatever you're selling, my friend. Tell His trade seems this. to be in
0: subversion, which is interesting mm-hmm. because he kind of was part of this whole, and I mean they're still doing it right now. But taking uh, independent filmmakers who maybe won't uh, kind of like argue about how. Let's just talk about the uh, web with Spider Man. You know, like a guy who. Right. Uh, was taken in probably more than anything else. I mean, half that movie is made before the, the indie director shows up to the set. It's all done in right. a computer, and they're just there to kind of fill in the character gaps, but more importantly, not really argue about their back-end points on the whole thing. You know, that's a very right. cynical way to look at it, but you've got a guy like Trevorrow who clearly is an, an, an intellectual you know, and can buck that trend and didn't go along with what they wanted him to do with Jurassic World, I think. Or it also was very adapted to playing the studio system as well. I
2: was going to ask, why do you think... Why Colin Trevorrow? A guy whose only movie was like a kind of a mild sci-fi romantic comedy. Why would Steven Spielberg say, let's give this guy this massive summer blockbuster that we've got so much writing on? Like,
1: I, I have a theory, and this is totally a theory. But I think... That Frank Marshall was the one who came to him first. Yeah. And I think Frank Marshall, who had been trying to get a Jurassic Park movie off the ground forever with or without Steven Spielberg, because Spielberg mm-hmm. didn't want to have anything to do with the franchise. Like after the second, like he didn't even want anything to do with Jurassic Park after he made it because he was like yeah. so depressed making make Schindler's the, List. The animated series um, never happened. Right. So so he didn't really like he did Lost World, but I think he mostly did it because it was, could be a fun time working with Goldblum again and whatever. Like, let's just make a fun whatever he I think he needed a break after the heavy stuff that he had been making at that yeah. point. And and who can blame him? And it's an right. easy paycheck. And I'm sure he made, you know, millions and millions and millions on that movie. Um, but once it came to Jurassic Park three, he was sort of like checked out. And he was like, I, you know, look, I know I made those first two, but like, this isn't my franchise. Like, you, Universal, you guys own this. You do whatever you want with it. Like, I don't, I don't care. And I don't really have an interest in all of these sequels that you're planning and stuff like that. So I think he had mostly checked out. And I think it was Frank Marshall who came to Trevorrow, just like you're saying, Kyle, in that cynical, like, we'll get this guy to come in. He'll direct it. He'll make it fine. We'll make money. It'll be great. And I think what happened was when Trevorrow came in and was thinking about what he could do, I think he got in touch with Spielberg and was like, "Okay, they want me to do this thing. He came to him from like a I want your blessing sort of way. Mm -hmm. And I think what he did was he pitched him his idea for the movie with all the themes that I'm talking about. And I think Spielberg was like. Holy crap, that's awesome. Yes. <laughs> and he's like, not only not only do I approve you as director, but I'm gonna go all in on this as a producer. Like, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give this my blessing and I'm gonna be I'm gonna be there for the marketing and everything. I'm really excited about this movie. And I think Frank Marshall at that point was like, Oh, well, I mean this kid got Spielberg back on board. Right. Like yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Like let's do what let's do what he wants. And and as long as he stays with the he colors within the lines, like I don't care what he's saying otherwise. And yeah. and I think that, that that all of that stuff, I think that's how he got Chris Pratt on board. I think that's how he got Bryce Dallas Howard on board. Bryce Dallas Howard as an actress is very picky about the kinds of movies that she does mm-hmm. and the kinds of roles she does. This technically doesn't really fit her Thing, um, not mm. really, and the fact that she did this really should speak toward like a lot of cynical movie viewers would just be like, oh well, she did it for the paycheck. Like, why wouldn't she? But yeah. I, she could do a lot of things. She doesn't have to do this. Yeah, I, I think she did it because trevorrow told her what he was doing, and I think she was on board for it.
2: Yeah, mm. yeah, yeah. I agree. I totally agree. So, um, so, Josh Ber- yeah, I know we want to kind of get into like the history and things like that, but just while it's on my mind, you know, Josh Brolin was originally cast as Owen, and uh, I have read that he got out because of uh, salary, and then I've also read it was because of uh, scheduling, and mm-hmm. they jumped on the opportunity to cr- get Chris Pratt because they knew he was the new kid on the block. And, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy was in the works and everything, and this could work, and show mm-hmm. enough. You know, I, I, tr- I, I think that's why... What was it? MTV was the who uh, released that initial clip where he and Claire are talking outside yeah. of his bungalow and all that. Yeah. Like why that? You've got a Jurassic Park movie coming up, a dinosaur <laughs> movie coming up and you release this clip from like a romantic comedy that has nothing to do with anything. And it's just kind of just kind of well, awkward. I, I think at like, that it's, point it's because
0: that- Chris Pratt's there. Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, he was clearly, I think, after coming out of Guardians of the Galaxy, Chris Pratt was kind of the studio golden boy at the moment, the guy that they were going to get to be their new leading man in Hollywood. And it's not really turned out that way with him, uh, especially like with Passengers recently. Uh, You know, it's I'm not that's not in any merit as him as an actor, but I think maybe that it was a little bit too early for them to put all their eggs in the Pratt basket. You know, Uh, Mm -hmm. but I don't. I think he's not only not only
1: Passengers, but uh, Magnificent Seven too.
0: Magnificent Seven, yeah, yeah. Which uh, they really I saw that movie and they really leaned heavy on the Chris Pratt in that movie, which is funny because uh, he ended up I think shooting Magnificent Seven and Jurassic World both in Baton Rouge. Uh, because I, I know that he was seen a lot around town during that period, but uh, yeah, um, I, I think Brady—that's what was going on there. That that was their initial lead-in was a very sour moment, I think, in the in the in the pre-marketing for that film. Uh, with that, yeah. but they 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 thought, hey, we got Chris Pratt; everybody loves Chris Pratt, and it's like, well, people like Chris Pratt, but they also like him, you know, coupled up with the uh, you know good material. Uh, is I think what's mm-hmm. going on there. But
1: but I but I do like I do like Chris Pratt over. Uh, Josh Josh Brolin because I think I think while Josh Brolin would have been good and a lot of people are like are are you kidding Josh Brolin is a vastly superior actor and like blah 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 but for what I'm talking about this meta theme like these meta thematic stuff that's going on in this movie I do like Chris Pratt in this role because he represents sort of like this new action star that we're kind of stuck on which is Mm -hmm. just like ridiculously ripped, like the polar opposite of Sam Neill, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and so, like, I like it for what this movie's trying to do. I really do like him as the lead because mm-hmm. it's kind of absurd in like a good way that feeds into that whole metatextual theme that I'm talking about.
2: Yeah. Well, what else do you have for the metatextual theory that you're talking about?
1: Cause I, I hope
2: there's more to it. I am. You're selling me on the whole thing, and I'm loving, really digging this.
1: Well, yeah. um, I mean, I don't, uh, one of the things that really s- sticks in my craw, it's the one thing that I can't quite explain. I can't quite get there, which is the whole Zara thing. Yeah. Um, her, her attack. And the only thing that I can, that makes sense to me is that in some earlier draft, she was supposed to represent like the Gennaro character Mm -hmm. in that she was supposed to be like a really like stuck up assistant that was always on her phone and ignoring the boys that she was supposed to be watching and was like annoying and wouldn't let them do things or something like that. A character that the audience was supposed to like grow to be annoyed with and hate and that explains why her death is so over the top and vicious. (laughs) Um, But I I, I feel like maybe that was – lost between the 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 Jaffa and um uh what uh silver Jaffa and silver yeah Jaffa and silver yeah uh... Jaffa and silver draft and then Trevorrow's draft um I I I feel like maybe he dropped that but had to keep in the ridiculously over the top uh scene of her death because it was already like pre vised or something like right. there was no way out of it. And so it's just, it's just a thing that's stuck in the movie.
0: Unfortunately, yeah. I, is, that, is, that's if, the only explanation I have for it. It's a very weird sequence. I remember. Yeah. Uh, it's funny. Cause actually that was a moment in the movie where before that happened, I got kind of bored and I got up and went to get some popcorn and came back and, uh, we were with, uh, I was with our our other two brothers who are not with us here on the podcast right now. And one of them elbowed me while I was going, He's like, you're never going to believe what happened. They just, they killed that woman (laughs) in the most vicious way possible. And I was like, Oh man, I should have stayed for that. The last, my, my, my last note that I have, which is
1: just me loving the, the, this little screenplay trick.
0: Um,
1: in the first scene with Claire, she says, people want thrills. People want, you know, them to be louder you know, more vicious, more teeth. Right. She's like, people want them to have more teeth. Mm -hmm. And then at the end of the, in the third act, the thing that drives her to go get the T-Rex is that gray says we need more teeth. Oh, yeah. what a payoff! There's, what a beautiful. There's payoff. something I love about her being like people want more teeth, and him being
0: like we need more teeth. <laughs> right, right. We are going to give you I exactly what you came here for with this, yeah. and then also it pays Ugh. off that gag the whole time. That's you know yeah. wh- one of the one of the great things. And, and Scott, I know that uh, we haven't really talked about this the audience, but your your trade is a screenwriter, correct? Your that's yes. where your bread is buttered. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, whenever we had you on for a previous minute of Jurassic Park minute, one of the things I love that that. you were uh, on here and talking about was theme. And I can tell you that theme is very important to you. And you're a guy who definitely like reads themes. That's kind of a hard thing for me to judge sometimes when I'm watching movies is figuring out what the theme of the movie is. But I love that you bring this to the table. These like little screenplay tricks like that. One of the things in a screenplay that really kind of makes it work is you try to tie in the end of the movie with the beginning of the movie, you know, try to Mm -hmm. put it back into a place where it was in the initial beginning. So that, that whole idea of that joke being paid off by them, we need more teeth is that's that's brilliant. That's fantastic. Oh, so.
1: It's so good. And what I what I love about it though is that when she's referencing we want more teeth Well, they wanted more teeth, so we made a dinosaur with more teeth, womp womp. And then at the end, he's like, we need more teeth. So she's like, I'm going to go bring the old dinosaur out of mothballs because (laughs) that's really all you need. You don't need this new fancy dinosaur. You just need old faithful back there in paddock number nine. You know, um, and I, I just I love that. Oh, God, it's so good. And, anyway. you know, it's
2: what's, what's funny. If the T-Rex is kind of representing the original film and the love for the original film and mm-hmm. the presence of the original film, it is what has the last word. The mm-hmm. last thing in this movie is uh, the T-Rex letting out a roar. And, you know. Yeah. So, no, I don't absolutely, know, Matt, I'm sold
1: and- on this whole thing. <laughs> no, that's great. I'm glad. Ah, got another one, nailed it. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess now we
0: need we need to pay up, however much your friends paid whenever they uh, went to see the movie. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. We'll 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 pay double that. that. Okay.
2: Uh, You know, and there's other little things that are coming to mind. Like there is a part where Owen says to Hoskins, the Frank Marshall uh, surrogate, you know, if we do this, we do this my way. Mm -hmm. And um, they cut to him laying out the plan on how he's going to save the day, and so. It's yep. yeah, it's all coming together, man. It's all spelling itself out right here, and it's I'm I'm digging the movie, and not not. Be, this wasn't an accident. This if if this is all true, which I think it's totally plausible, then this was intended. Colin mm-hmm. Trevorrow did this, you know, and that's what this movie. If if that's what the director's doing, that's what the movie really is, and so. It it seems like Frank Marshall and Spielberg and the the suits and everything would have said, okay, this movie's a commentary on commercialism. That's why we're gonna have all this Mercedes all over it, whatever. And he's saying, no, 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 it's gonna be a commentary on all of y'all, and you're not even gonna know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> now right? give me a paycheck, and here's here's a billion dollars. So,
1: and I just I just wanna just to tie it all up. I just wanna go back to that first shot I was talking about of Gray mm. looking through the ViewMaster looking at that Harryhausen shot and it just, Oh God. Like, I just love that so much because of it's, it's basically Trevorrow saying like, not in a way, he's not only saying you can't beat the original, but he's also saying we've always done this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This has yeah. always been happening. Like yeah. Yeah. he made dinosaur movies back then. And then we, we tried to outdo those and succeeded, but <laughs> but the point is is like this has always been going on this idea of franchise filmmaking and not letting things go and mm-hmm. always trying to bring it back and bring it back and try it again and milk it until it's completely dry this has always been around
0: and that's what that few master shot is about damn brilliant Absolutely. Brilliant. Scott, you have opened my eyes and uh, I've come yes. into this thing with an open mind and open heart and I'm leaving with a different view of Jurassic World. So thank you so I much am, for coming I am, on. I am so thank you so much for having me. And I am so excited
1: for you guys to watch Jurassic World again with <laughs> yeah. this theory in your head, because uh-huh. I'm serious. It's it's just going to it's going to light the movie on fire for you. Like you know, you're just. Yeah,
2: I'm, I'm looking at my notes which I'm throwing out, and the very first thing is right up front. I don't like this movie, <laughs> uh, and I I just found myself while I'm listening to, looking at it, and scratching it out. Not even like knowing what I'm, not even paying attention to what I'm doing. So I, uh, <laughs> yeah, man, uh, I'm uh, look. I got to get out of here. I want to go watch Jurassic World. So let's wrap this thing <laughs> up. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, if, yeah, if
0: anything, I'm, I'm really glad that we had you on here because this now stands as a testament to the fact that you're the guy that came up with this idea. So when Cracked runs an article that basically steals uh-huh. this idea in six months, we can point back and be like, no, 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 guys, you have got some uh, royalties <laughs> on that because you're running with this theory there. So <laughs> I uh, mean, it's but, well, all there. So I can't
1: I can't Trevorrow gets the credit. All I, I just saw it. You yeah, know? <laughs> I, I just happened to see it. And and, you know something i don't know what line it was that really stuck in my craw that fed that theory to me um over the next like 3 or 4 times i saw it cuz i saw the movie like i think 4 times in theaters mm-hmm. um cuz i just couldn't get enough of this theory that i had i just loved i loved the movie for it um yeah. so i don't know uh i don't know what it was that the initial spark of this but oh man
0: this is after hearing it from you my I... kind of people yeah, <laughs> I, I don't think I can ever watch it in any other light again, uh, so, yeah. Well, Scott, uh, again, uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this theory, which, uh, you know, I don't think is, is so much a theory as is a fact now, so, uh, you know, and, and changing the way that I think uh, I feel about this movie. I know Brady does as well, I'm sure, and maybe our audience does also, so. But uh, before oh, we I get out so. of here, can you just tell everybody again where they can find more of your work? If they want to be enlightened again with more <laughs> stuff like you've just given us here, uh, where can they find more Scott Corelli on the internet? Uh,
1: Everything I do is at duelinggenre.com. You can go there. You can check out all my other podcasts, um, you know, Back to the Future Minute, Spider Man Minute, uh, and all of the other podcasts that are being done. Uh, at duelinggenre.com. Um, and, and then the things that I write. So I write geek by night, uh, which is my original, uh, podcast series. And you can go check that out. It's about five friends who, uh, who get superpowers and instead of becoming superheroes, decide to open a comic book store together. Um, and, uh, and the, uh, the hilarity that ensues. It's sort of got a Buffy vibe is what we're going for mm-hmm. um, with that show. Cool. Uh, so go check that out. And uh, I've also directed three short films, and those are also at DuelingGenre.com. There's a little, a little films section, and it, it has all three of them there. So um, you can check those out as well.
0: Very cool. Awesome. And we definitely encourage everybody to check those out. All of your work is as amazing as, as what you've done here on our show today. So thank you again for coming uh, on. You. And, you know, also thank you for all the support you've given Brady and I as well as with Pele Media, as far as, uh, you know, getting out there and doing Ghostbusters Minute, you and your partner Nick were very helpful to us in the beginning. And, uh, you know, this is what Brady and I have always said that one of the great things we take away from this experience is all the new friendships that we've made. And, uh, you know, just, uh, thanks for being there. Really appreciate the support.
1: Yeah, man, definitely. No, I, I would never think not to. You guys are awesome, and, and I love supporting awesome things. Well, thank you very much. All right, <laughs> folks, well,
0: we are going to get out of here. That'll do it for uh, our, our immediate take on Jurassic World. I think I'm going to have to go watch this movie again, and maybe we can talk about it some more yep. in the future. But, uh, Scott, you kind of <laughs> blown my mind here. I really appreciate you coming <laughs> on. So.
2: It's too All much right. for one day. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right, well, on that note, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up here. Uh, thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter of Pele Media media we, uh, we you know our, our Jurassic Park minute is done but that doesn't mean we have to stop bringing you some content related to Jurassic Park we plan to do that in the future so if you stuck with us uh, through this bit uh, just hey stick with us some more we got some more great stuff coming up for you we'll let you know what next week's episode is going to be on our Facebook page that's facebook.com slash Pele Media check that out for uh, a uh, for more upcoming shows and uh, yeah we will get with you on that so all right Brady you ready to go ahead and get out of here Let's go. All right, folks. Thank you so much for joining us. For Scott, for Brady, and myself, mahalo.
2: This has been a Pele Media Patreon episode. Thank you so much for being a Patreon supporter and keeping the show going. If you enjoy our bonus episodes, be sure to tell your friends to check us out at patreon.com slash Pele Media. You can also find us online at facebook.com slash and Pele Group at gmail.com. Our theme song is Behind Closed Doors by Otis McDonald.